just a few months ago that God started speaking to me about changing the name of our church. And in fact, you can go back in our sermon archive on our website. You can hear the message that I shared about the name change and how that came about. Um, but, but usually what, what, what happens is you kind of decide on a name, you design a logo, you hammer out the vision and the, and the mission, and, and that's kind of the way, at least for me, that's how the flow has gone. This process has been completely the opposite, and the, the last component that we needed to really nail down was a church logo, a new logo, which just got finalized on Friday. So next Sunday, you want to make sure to be here because we will be unveiling our new church logo. Uh, we wanted to show you, of course, before the 25th because we're going to have postcards. We're going to have material that, that is going to go to the community that we're going to put in your hand to, to be able to invite people uh, on the 25th as we celebrate everything that God is doing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sounds good. Um, I want you to open in your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel and the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 20. Daniel chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 20. We're in the middle of a series, actually we're on the tail end of a series now, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, something we've been walking through as a church. A number of you are involved in the EHS course on Thursday nights. Uh, if you missed it, it's okay. We're going to have it again. In fact, our, our desire is to offer it at least twice, if not three times a year, uh, once in the fall and then uh, again in the, the beginning of the year and then towards the beginning of the summer. Um, an eight-week course uh, that goes along with the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The idea of the book is this, just, just a little intro, introduction, is, is this. So many of us in Western Christianity don't really embrace who we are in Christ because we're not aware of who we are in Christ. The picture is that of an iceberg. You can see the iceberg on the right there. In fact, I think we have another picture of uh, a prettier picture of an iceberg. We understand this, that an iceberg, it, what you see above the waterline is just a, a fraction of what its, its mass is, what it really contains. And in the same way as, as people... And as believers specifically, so much of our life is below the surface. And we show people what we want people to see. We put on a pretty face and, and a smiley face. And, and we're like, well, this is who I am. And, and yet below the surface, people really don't know us. We don't really reveal our true colors as it were. And then there's even aspects of what's below the surface that we're not even aware of ourselves. Things that have gone into shaping and molding our identity and what we believe about who we are that are actually not in line with who God says we are. And so emotionally healthy spirituality is a journey and it's a process by which we, we don't just embrace the intellectual things and the theological things which are so important about who God is, but we actually allow our emotion to be a part of that journey and part of that process. Uh, if you've missed any of these messages and you want to go back and listen to them, they're all available on the website. Uh, but today, today, week six, we're going to be talking about discovering the rhythms of the daily office and Sabbath. And if you right off the bat, you're like, what does that even mean? Don't worry, we're going to get there this morning. We're going to unpack. I think Sabbath is a word that we're maybe familiar with because, first of all, it's in the Bible, right? 
and, and, and maybe you've heard it in church, but when it comes to understanding what the goal and what the purpose of Sabbath is in the life of the believer, I think we very often miss the mark. We're, we're not actually up to speed. In fact, I, I, I kind of grew up thinking, well, Sabbath is something that Jewish people did. But as a Christian and as a Gentile, that I was not subject to, to Sabbath, really discovering later on in life the value and the importance of subject. The key word here, though, is the word rhythm. Rhythm. Our culture knows very little of what rhythms are outside of music. See, we, we look at our 24-7 nonstop world, and, and, and it's kind of chaotic. It's kind of hectic. Sometimes our lives, and, and quite often, our lives feel hectic. They feel chaotic. Can anyone relate? Yeah, some of, some of you... Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I know some of you college students, your first few weeks of school are a little hectic. It's a little chaotic, and you're going, I've got to find this balance and this rhythm between classes and, 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 and work and, and actually getting time to relax and all of these things, and you're trying to figure out, and then, you know, and then some kind of surprise comes in the way, and, and, and so to try and keep in a rhythm is just really tough. We're, we live in a culture that's very hurried. We're always just hurrying to get to the next place. If you don't think you're hurried, go jump on the 210 freeway for a little while and, and see how, how well you do with that. We're hurried. Even on a Sunday afternoon, right? If you want to go to Pasadena, plan on sitting in traffic for a little while. And even if you don't have to be somewhere at a certain time, you get on the freeway and traffic's backed up, and don't you just feel the stress? Come on, people, let's go. I don't have anywhere I need to be, but let's go. Because we live... In a hurried, busy culture, and we have no idea how to change it. Very few have any idea of how to change that. I'm going to invite Andrew to actually come up. I want to illustrate this a little bit when we talk about rhythm, because some of us uh, need need some you know different learning methods. But back to school Sunday, so we're going to do a, a little illustrated lesson here. So so he's going to. He's going to get some rhythm going on the drums. We recognize this is good, right? There's a rhythm there. There's a beat. You can, you can clap along to it, and it's, uh, you know, you'll add some elements to it, but it sounds good, right? Even if you don't like the drums, it sounds good, right? All right, let's hold off for a second. No rhythm. I know it's even hard to do that, isn't it? Can you get more chaotic? Play like a two-year-old would play. <laughs> I know, it's hard to, he's, it's just so ingrained in him. Give it up for Andrew. I, I knew, it's like, it's like. I really thought I would do well with the chaotic. <laughs> no, not so much. It's like asking someone to fall off, a bi uh, off of a bicycle, it's just hard to do. <laughs> So no one sets out to live a chaotic existence in the same way that a drummer wants to play the drums to a beat, to a rhythm. You don't set out unless you're into like certain kinds of jazz, right? Then, then it's like anything's game. No, you don't set out to live a chaotic, exist, chaotic existence. It just kind of, 
It kind of happens, doesn't it? It just happens, doesn't it? Hey, you can, you can, we can dialogue this morning a little bit. It happens. You might even say something like this. I know my life is out of control, but I feel trapped. I don't know how to, I don't know how to change it. I feel trapped by what's happening. Some might say this. I feel scattered or fragmented, uncentered, distracted, overloaded. And instead of being, being free to be who we really are, where we are, we're always on the way to something else. I'm always just waiting. I'm, I'm looking ahead. I'm not in the moment. I'm not present because I'm thinking about what I need to do later today, later tonight, tomorrow, next week, and next year. And if you've ever sat and had a conversation with someone who's not present... You know how frustrating that is. You're here, but you're not here. And this is not how God has designed and called us to live our life. Really, the question is this. How do we live a life oriented around God? How do we live a life that is Christ-centered? Where God is the, the major component and everything else flows out of that. In Western Christianity, our faith and our relationship with God takes up so little of our time and so little of our attention and so little of our focus and other stuff gets in the way, demands our attention, gets us busy, becomes urgent. And until we get to a place where we can answer the question, how do I live a life oriented around God? We're going to keep struggling. See, a life oriented around God is a life that's calm, a life that's connected, and, and a life that's relaxed. I think one of the lies perpetrated on the church is this, if you love Jesus, you'll be busy for him. Because we're about doing, 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 and if I do more, God will love me more, and God's expectation is that I would do more for him, and nothing could be further from the truth. God was all about connection, about relationship. He is all about connection and relationship and going deeper with you and Him knowing you and you knowing Him more intimately than you can ever imagine. See, if I don't start asking that question, I can't live the life that God's created me to, to, to live. I won't discover my purpose. I won't discover the meaning, understanding. If you ask people and they do surveys about this, well, what's your biggest struggle in life? Well, I don't know what my purpose is. Why am I even here? Well, what fact, how does faith factor into that? Well, it's just, you know, I go to church sometimes or I read my Bible from time to time or maybe it doesn't even factor at all. We cannot discover what God's created us for unless we have a relational connect with him. See, God created you to experience his love. He created you for a relationship with him. He created you so that you can experience his love, not just when you're in trouble, but every moment of every day of your life. But it, that's not going to happen in the midst of a culture that has its hooks in us. I think that's a great way to, to even picture that or illustrate it, that there are so many things that have their hooks in us that are pulling us this way and that. 
Now, I have to pause. I have to stop. You have to pause. You have to stop. You have to find place in your life daily and weekly where you can center on Christ, center on your relationship with God. To use another picture, it'd be this, uh, treadmills. Anyone ever run on a treadmill? Ever, anyone ever been thrown off of a treadmill? Some great videos on YouTube. We just don't have time today. There's that moment when you're on a treadmill, maybe even for the first time, and you realize it's going faster than you can run, right? You can't just jump off. You can't just jump off. Now, you can grab the sides and kind of step off to the side. But before you can really effectively and safely get off the treadmill, what do you have to do? You've got to slow it down and stop it, right? And I think just sitting in a gym and watching people in the treadmill for a couple of days would just be absolutely hilarious because, oh my goodness, for, for the novice, this is a scary contraption. You can't just jump off. You have to slow it down. You have to slow down. You have to. And already, I guarantee you already, some of you are thinking, yeah, but I don't know how. You don't understand how my life is or what's going on in my life. I don't. And you might not even understand, but God does. And he doesn't really give us a pass on this and say, except for you, it's okay, you, stay, you go ahead with your busyness. You know, the Bible says that, that God is a selfish God. I mean, I mean, a jealous God, not selfish, sorry. <laughs> He's selfish for your time. The Greek word is, no. <laughs> He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He covets your time and your attention and a relationship with you. He wants more of your time. It's illustrated with Mary and Martha sitting uh, with Jesus. Mary, of course, sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha busy. She had the gift of hospitality. Jesus was in her house and she didn't slow down enough to sit and have a conversation and have a relationship. And, and when she then gets frustrated with Mary, you know, why can't Mary come help me? I've got all of this stuff, Jesus, that I need to do for you. Can you just tell her to get up and come help me? And Jesus says, no, no, no. She's chosen the better thing to stop and ignore the stuff that has to happen to be with me. We need to slow our lives down and sit at the feet of Jesus. This is about deliberately structuring our lives around two ancient treasures of spirituality. And these are the daily office and Sabbath. The daily office and Sabbath. And together, these two, and we're going to unpack these a little bit this morning. Together, these will help establish a rhythm in our lives that will allow us to come up for air, to spend time at the feet of Jesus. I want to warn you, though, this is not an easy fix. This is not like, hey, if I just quickly do these two things, I'll be good to go. This morning's message is, is less introspective and more of a, hey, here's, here's some practical things and ways that you need to, to actually put this into practice into your, in your life. It will take work. We need to look at two, two scenarios out of Scripture. The first is found in the book of Daniel 
uh, and it's about the man Daniel. The other will be about the children of Israel and their journey out of Egypt. So we're going to talk first about the daily office. See, there's two rhythms, the daily rhythm and the weekly rhythm. And in fact, it even goes beyond that, but we don't have time to, to talk beyond that. We're going to just talk about these two. The daily office. What is a daily office? What does that even mean? Does it mean I need to go to the office daily? No. The daily office is this. It is a fixed time of prayer. It's a fixed time of prayer in your day. It's a, it's a time that you set apart to spend with Jesus. Now, in, in, in our culture, in our Christian culture, we, we talk about devotions or quiet time was the thing that, that uh, I heard when I was growing up. Can I, can I just tell you right off the bat, though, that's important, and I'm not saying not to do that. Be in the Word. Do your journaling. Do, you know. but, th- but this is actually a little different to just checking a box and saying, I did that. This is actually being and setting place and time in your day where you, you spend time to just be with Jesus. To tune out the distractions of the world and focus on Him. I want to read out of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 1. Read off. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king plan to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had a window in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God, thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. 
or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Most of us familiar with the story, the king's heart is broken. He realizes he's been trapped, but he can't get out of it. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, but he's not consumed. God shuts the mouths of the lions, and he emerges the next day. How many of you pictured the VeggieTales version in your head, right? Good King Darius. <laughs> All right. Quite a story. See, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies had conquered Jerusalem. They had gone in and they had decimated Judah and Israel. They had destroyed Jerusalem. They had torn down the temple and they had carried off all of the things that were precious before the Lord, the things that were devoted and the things that were set apart. They defeated, they tore apart, they hurt, they killed the people of Israel. What they did is they selected the best, the best young men, the best young women, and they brought them to Babylon to put them into service. And they went through this entire process of training them, went to school. For three years, they were prepared. We know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well, who were contemporaries and friends with Daniel. And they studied and they trained them and they said, listen, we want you to learn the ways of Babylon. And in the midst of this, Daniel rises to the top. A foreigner, a, a, a man who was conquered and carried off from his own land. He comes and, and he stands out so much so that he is one of the top three officials in the land. And the king has it in mind to actually put him in charge of the entire kingdom. See, because the kings ruled, but they didn't do the work, right? They had people that, that stood in their place and made everything run. Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with Daniel, he said, this, this guy, this guy's going to run the country. There's something about this guy. There's something about his spirit that's just absolutely amazing. Well, of course, this irritated the satraps and the high officials who were from, Bam, from Babylon. Here's this foreigner moving in on their territory, and we've got to get him. And of course, they couldn't find anything wrong. He was a man of integrity. And so they hatched their plan. They hatched their plan. Now remember, Daniel was not a prisoner. He was an official, which means he was busy. He had a lot to do. There was a lot of work to do. It takes a lot of work to run a country, right? It takes a lot of work to run a household, Imagine running a whole nation. We'd agree that Daniel had a lot on his plate. He had a lot to do. These officials and these satraps come to the king and they appeal to his ego. For 30 days, everyone just needs to pray and bow down to you. He's like, yeah, it sounds pretty good to me. And he signs it into law. By the way, the Medes and the Persian, Persians, the the, the, the laws of the Medes and the Persians were, were held in those times. Some of you who are in Bible college, you will learn about these things. But, but it, the writer puts it in here because it's important to know that even the king was bound by this word. He, he, there was even an authority above the king that he could not back down on. And as soon as Daniel hears that the king had signed the, the, the order, what does he do? He goes directly to his room, upstairs, opens the window, and begins to pray. Not out of defiance to the king, 
Because you don't get to a place of authority like Daniel was in with, with dishonoring the king, do you? So he, of course he honors the king, but he doesn't honor the king more than he honors God. And he goes straight to that room and he prays because nothing was going to stand in the way of him praying three times a day. Of course, his enemies are watching and they see him and they scurry back off to the king. Oh, king, who oh, got him. Daniel's still praying. Daniel is still praying. You know, with this story, usually when we tell it, that the highlight is the lion's den and it's, it's amazing what God does there. But for our purposes this morning, the highlight is Daniel praying three times a day. Taking the time out of his schedule, out of his work to get on his knees. See, Babylon's goal with these young men was to assimilate them. To make them Babylonian. He wanted them, and Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to look like Babylonians, to act like Babylonians, to value the things that Babylonians did. And they went to great lengths and spent a lot of money to make that a reality, to accomplish that. And in the case of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it didn't work. In fact, we know with the three boys, the three young men, they go in and they're given all of this food and they say, no, listen, uh, we're going to choose to eat vegetables and drink water. Wow. Wow. Right? No golden corral for us. Right? Not all the, the, the good stuff. I mean, this is the good life. They were being groomed to be officials. They had the best of the best. No, we'll just eat vegetables and drink water, and they turn out better. Right? And then, and then of course, the, those in charge changed the diet for everyone else, which I'm sure didn't make them very popular. The goal was assimilation. They changed their names. Daniel's uh, Babylonian name was Belshazzar. They tried to change and conform them to the culture. Can I tell you this morning, we live in Babylon. We live in Babylon. See, we live in a time and a place where God is not, we live as if God is not active and in control and in charge. We live in a culture that says there is no God, and if there is a God, well, then he's not very loving and not very kind. We live in a culture that says just do what you want to do and be whatever you want to be and live however you want to live. We, we live in a culture that says things like, hey, as long as you're not hurting someone else, go ahead and do it. We live in a culture that says whatever makes you happy or feel good, if, if, as long as you're not hurting someone, go ahead. It's fine. It's Babylon. And can I tell you that the same force that is behind Babylon then is behind the Babylon now. Satan, the enemy of your soul who wants to drag you down and destroy you. To tear you apart. To set traps for you so that would lead to your destruction. The Bible says in Revelation 17 that the things of this world, and he even speaks, John writing in, in Revelation 17, speaks of Babylon. He says it's intoxicating. It's intoxicating and appealing. It gets us drunk so that we can't see straight. We get enamored and, and caught up with the things of this world. He, he refers to Babylon as the great prostitute that lures people away. 
that this world and the things of this world are presented in such a way to the believers, to, to the bride of Christ, that we would be drawn away from the presence of God and into the destructive things of this world so that we would be absorbed, that we would be conformed, so that the power would leave and that we would just be like everybody else. We need to be like Daniel. We need to take a stand and say, listen, the things of this world, I, I can't necessarily change those, but I can be in control of my life. I can make decisions that put God first, no matter what the culture says. Well, you Christians, if, if you're not this and you're not that, oh, there's one authority in my life and it's here. Daniel got down on his knees three times a day to pray. This is not something Daniel started when things went sideways in his life. Daniel was a man of prayer before he got to Babylon. Daniel was a man who committed his ways to the Lord before it became critical and dire and desperate. And it's what sustained him all the way. See, Daniel had a rhythm to his daily life. Three times a day he got down on his knees facing Jerusalem, honoring the God of his fathers and praying and crying out to the Lord, blessing his holy name. Well, Pastor Barry, that's legalism. No, that's relationship. That's relationship. If I talked to my wife once a day, I would be in trouble. Can I get an amen? Hey, babe, can we have a conversation? You know what? We talked this morning. Right? We had quiet time. We had a cup of coffee, and it was good. It was, good. It was a good conversation. Wasn't the coffee good? And we sat and we talked about the day. Well, yeah, it was good. Well, we don't need to talk again. That's legalism. You're trying to put me in a box. Come on. That's not how it works. Yet we come to the Lord and say, God, well, I prayed this morning. prayed this morning and I told God what I needed and even go there with my wife hey can you just tell me this is what I need from you today okay I'll see you later <laughs> shortest marriage in the history of marriage <laughs> God I want to be in your presence I want to know you I want to be in your presence. I want to see your face. I want to establish a rhythm where I, I daily, multiple times a day, I just want to quiet my life and quiet my busyness and stop and be with you, to commune with you, to know, not to get anything from you, to just be with you. It says in Genesis that, that God came and he walked with Adam and Eve in the even. Eve in the cool of the garden. Why? To inspect the garden? No, just to be with them. Same God. So note here as well, Daniel's commitment to the daily office almost cost him his life. It almost cost him his life, but in the end, it resulted in the transformation of a nation. 
Daniel's commitment to pray almost cost him his life because God was in the midst of it. In the end, it resulted in the transformation of a nation. The king, after he comes out of the pit, throws the ones that wanted to destroy him and their families and their children and everything. They, and it says before they hit the ground, the lions were going to work. And then the king says, your God, your God is the true God. So what does it mean for us? Well, there's two key elements to the daily office for you and for, for myself. First is this, Scripture. And then the second is stopping for silence and stillness. Scripture. We, we have the greatest gift in the Word of God. It is the heart of God revealed to us, Spirit-inspired, alive and breathing, sitting right there on your desk, on your bookshelf, on your mantle, in your briefcase, in that app on your phone. Ready, waiting, God saying, just taste and see. To stop daily, not to check a box or say, okay, I did the devotions today. Do the devotions, it's good. Get into the Word. There's solid life journals in the back. Grab one, be in the Word. But in the middle of the day, just to stop and read a psalm and go, oh, Lord, thank you. I just needed that right now. To hear God's encouragement, His correction, maybe even a rebuke. To bring wisdom. And then silence, one of the greatest missing spiritual disciplines today. We don't know how to be silent or where to be silent or to, how, how do I even go about it. Silence can be deafening. I was at the church office last night in my office and, and it was quiet. And you hear everything. Everything. The wind was blowing and the door rattled. and Right? You hear everything and it can be almost distracting. Silence, getting away and silencing our hearts and our minds. Establishing a quiet period in which we don't do anything but be still and know God. As the word says, be still and know that I am God. I think he means it. The daily office is key because it helps us to recover the contemplative dimension of prayer, the contemplative dimension of prayer where my prayer isn't hurried. So often our prayer looks like our lives. Hey, I just got to throw this one up to Jesus real quick and hope something sticks. Now, the, the contemplative part of prayer is this. I sit in the presence of the Lord and I just marvel at his awe. And I wonder and I just go, God, you're amazing. But here's the thing about the daily office. I can talk for hours and you know I can talk for hours about how to do it and what it's been like for me, but you can only experience it for yourself. You can only learn it by doing it. And only your experience will convince you. Only your experience will convince you. It's easy, but it's not. It sounds easy. And in principle, in paper, it looks easy. But when it comes to actually living it out, it's, it's not. Because we're chaotic, inside and outside. 
See, silence reminds me how chaotic my life is. We're distracted. It's a human problem. Imagine this. You stop in the middle of the day. You want to let it go. Maybe in your office, like it would be for me. I sit at my desk, silence the phones, turn off the radio or Spotify or whatever you're listening to, and just start meditating making sure that there's no distractions, I'm alert, I'm relaxed, set aside, I'm going to do five minutes or ten minutes to be with Jesus. Set my watch, set an alarm, get everything lit, I mean, ready, light a candle, maybe read a psalm, and then what happens next? All hell breaks loose. <laughs> oh Lord, I just want to be in your presence. When last did I back up my computer? <laughs> oh, wait, no, no, no. Yeah, it's been a while. I, I better do that. Okay, I, I, I just got to remember, I need to make sure to back up the computer. In fact, not just my computer, but the other office computer as well. Okay, yeah, okay. Wait, I'm, I'm trying to focus here. You know, I know the one at home hasn't been run, running well either. <laughs> oh, and speaking and thinking of home, Megan asked me to pick something up on the way back from work today. What was that? Oh, Lord, I can't remember. Well, I better give her a call and when I'm done being with Jesus so I can go <laughs> make sure that I pick it up because it's probably important that I pick that up. Okay, so I'll make sure to call Megan. Oh, wait, and I need to text Micah as well because I had a question for him about something that happened yesterday. You know where I'm going, right? And by the end of it, you could end up anywhere. Because when we're silent, the chaotic nature of our minds is revealed. And it's kind of scary. But if we can get in the discipline, we will gain so much. See, my lack of concentration is a cluttered mind. I have too much going on. Could I suggest that you have too much going on in your life? We don't live with limits. We don't live with margin. There's no extra space. We live life to the max, full out. No rest. So the purpose of the office is to get into the habit daily, to stop at various times during the day. And I, Can I just say this? The, the goal here is not to do it right. Do what works for you. Maybe, maybe even the daily office doesn't work for you. That's okay. But figure out how you connect with Jesus and start making it happen. It will change your life. I guarantee you it will change your life. And by the way, don't st- you're looking at me like, oh, you're the pastor. You're supposed to do that. I have the hardest time because the things that keep me busy are ministry. They're good things. And God says, I want your time. Well, Lord, as soon as I'm done with this Bible study, I struggle with this. This is hard. This is not easy for me. Figure it out in your life. Find out what that rhythm is for you and start making it happen. 
Go for a walk. Spend time with Jesus. Listen to some music, whatever works for you. But live in and experience the love of God in a fresh way every day. We good? All right. Second rhythm is this, Sabbath. Sabbath, not just for Jewish people. (laughs) Not just for Jewish people. I do graphic design work for a rabbi in Anchorage. I've been doing design work for him for 10 years, and it's one of the, the, the little side jobs I still do. It's one of the few that I keep because I love working with him. Drives me absolutely crazy sometimes. But I, I, I love working with him, and I love just hearing him talk about God, watching how he teaches his people. And here's what I know. Sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, I will not get a phone call or an email. I just don't because he's Sabbath, and he's with his family. And it's been such an encouragement to me to watch his life He's one of the busiest people I know, but he stops, and I covet what he has, and God's saying, you, it's available to you. So what's, what's Sabbath? Sabbath is a 24-hour period, 24 period each week where you stop. It's set apart. It's holy according to Scripture. Where you stop, you cease from your work. It literally means to stop. To rest. Exodus chapter 20. For the sake of time, I don't want to read through all of the commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, we find the Ten Commandments. And we would recognize, I'd hope we would all say, yes, Ten Commandments are important. They're still important. You know that, that when, when God gives the commandment regarding Sabbath, it is the longest of the Ten Commandments. He says more about Sabbath than he does anything else. And it's the, it's the commandment that comes after his commands regarding worship. Shall have no other gods before me, no engraved or carved images, right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath and make it holy. And then he goes into the practical things of life. Marriage and murder and coveting and all of those things. Because, because I believe Sabbath informs those. If you live a centered life, the rest of them are cake. Here's what he says in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. By the way, listen, what this, this message isn't saying is, hey, you shouldn't work hard. That's not what this is. Work is unto the Lord. And honor him in your work. Cool? All right. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy made it holy. We call them the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Am I right? But we live like they're suggestions. 
that there are things that take the place of God in our lives. It might not be a little idol on your, altar, on your, your mantle, but there are things that we put in the place of God every single day. There are things that we worship more than we worship God. There are things that take our attention. There are things that we say that defame the name of God. And we don't Sabbath. The Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. And can I suggest today that when we do, we don't sin just against God, but we actually sin against ourselves. We hurt ourselves. See, because these commands are gifts. God's commandments were not meant to wreck our lives. They were meant to bless our lives. The commandments are gifts. And anytime we see God in Scripture giving us a command, we need to pay attention and say, Lord, how do you want to bless me through that commandment? Our culture says, hey, get your commands off of me. I am my own person. God says, no, I want to bless you. I want you to thrive. Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that we're created in the image of God. Imago Dei. That is a gift from Him. We are created in His image with the same capacities that He has. And God for six days made the world and on the seventh day, God rested. And He models for us what it means to stop and enjoy God saw that it was good, and then he enjoyed what he made. I love that. God enjoyed what he made. How often do we enjoy the things in our lives? We're so busy going to the next thing, I don't actually enjoy the moment. See, on Sabbath, we let go, and we let God take care of whatever needs to be taken care of, and we focus on this, self-care. Actually caring about yourself. God wants you to care for yourself. And that sounds contrary to Western theology. No, no, no. We like to quote Paul. I beat my body and I make it my slave. Context. <laughs> Context. God wants you to care for yourself. See, Israel had lived as slaves in Egypt. Slaves don't get a day off. They don't get a day off. 400 years, the people of Israel hadn't had a day off. And you thought you had it bad. 400 years. Thanks, Leslie. <laughs> 400 years without a day off. No Sabbath. It was a part of their identity. I work, I work, I work, I work. Because someone tells me I have to work. They come into the desert and God says, listen... I'm going to give you some rules, and the first is this. On the sixth day, you work. On the seventh day, you rest. Because your identity is not wrapped up in what you do. Your identity is wrapped up in me. Our culture would say this. Your identity is what you do. And as Christians, we have to say, we have to reject that wholesale and say, no, my identity is hidden in Christ. See, it's the, it's, it's the iceberg. It's the iceberg. It's the part that's hidden that God says, that belongs to me. No, 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 no. This is mine. God says, no, you are mine. 
No Sabbath rest. And when we do rest, we feel guilty, inefficient, unproductive, lazy, or all we can think about is what we've not gotten done that we need to still get due. So I'm resting, but I'm thinking about work. That's not Sabbath. See, Sabbath is an enormous statement about your value. You're not a slave. You're free. You're a son and daughter of the Most High. You were created for a love relationship with God. And it's the very heart of the gospel. So what's the difference between a day off and Sabbath? Four words. Stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I actually preached on this in June. If you would like to go listen to that message, it's on the website. The difference between a day off and Sabbath is we often take a day off so we can get other work done. Am I right? Your house is probably like my house. There's a, a chore list. There's things that need to get it done around the house. At the risk of offending anyone, Sabbath means not even doing work around the house. See, because we're so hurried, we can't even prepare to Sabbath well. And so we fill every little bit of extra time with something else that needs to get done. And so we don't rest, we don't stop, we don't delight, we don't contemplate. See, in order to do this well, you have to prepare. See, my rabbi friend, Rabbi Greenberg... Friday all day is given to preparing for Sabbath. The cleaning happens. The cooking for the next day happens. Everything's set in place so that when the sun goes down, there's a great meal. They celebrate the Sabbath together and then no work because there's been a preparation. Preparing your heart for time with Jesus. If I were to come to your house if some, someone were to say, hey, pastor, we'd like to have your family over to our house for dinner. I know this. I know that you would prepare your home. I know that you would prepare your home to receive us well. And some of you maybe feel more comfortable for maybe some of you. You grew up in a tradition where having the pastor to your house is a big deal. There's stuff we've got to put away. You would prepare. <laughs> Sabbath is about preparing our hearts to spend time with the Lord and saying, I'm going to choose to honor you, Lord, so much that I will get ready to rest, to not work, which means you've got to slow the treadmill down, which means you've got to look ahead. You actually need to know when your Sabbath is. I would suggest in our culture, the best day is Sunday. Today is the best day for us to Sabbath. By the way, for the Jewish people, going to synagogue is a part of their Sabbath experience. Worshiping with other believers, that's part of Shabbat. It's a part of Shabbat. But for us, choosing a day that works with our whole family and says, today we rest. Today we rest. Today we don't work. We enjoy each other. Planning to be unavailable. Some, some of you know this. My Sabbath is Mondays because I'm busy on Sunday. 
And some of you know, like, I, I can text Barry on Monday. I can call him on Monday. It's probably going to go to voicemail or not get a response on Monday. So hard for me when the, this thing vibrates or the phone vibrates. The, what's going on? To put it away and say, you know what? I'm not going to do it today. I can wait tomorrow because God's in control and the universe isn't going to fall apart while I'm taking a nap. We have a hard time resting, stopping our work, delighting, enjoying what God has given you. For some of you, it's, I want to be out in my yard. I want to just hang out and enjoy nature. I, I actually enjoy mowing the grass. We have a gardener at our house, so I don't get to do that, so I have to find other things to do in the yard. But it's, it's, I enjoy it, always have. And the last guy enjoyed blowing snow. It's just weird. People looked at me weird. <laughs> Food, music, nature, family. Hey, let's sit down and play a board game. For us, it's just even if we're all in the same room, if you come to our house, if you've been to our house, we've moved our furniture around because we realized that our family was hanging out in different rooms, and so we we put the, the big TV in our main living room and the more comfortable couch in our main living room because now we're in the same room and it has changed the dynamic in our home so much. Because can I just say, you don't have to make it weird. No, you can't do that because we're, we're Sabbathing. We're crying out loud. <laughs> right? Because it could just get kind of funky. Enjoy what you enjoy. Delight in what you delight in. If you want to go for a run, go for a run. Just don't call me. Not going to go there with you. Not zero fun, sir. All right? <laughs> Contemplating. Set aside time for contemplation. God-centered focus. Have worship music playing in the house. Praise music. Spend time to just wonder. Share as a family. Hey, what has God done this week? Start looking for the places where testimonies and, and stories can emerge. How is God speaking? What is he doing? It's a taste of eternity for us. To contemplate and marvel and wonder in the goodness of God. See, here's the reality for us as a culture. Nothing less than a command... Nothing less than the command has the power to intervene in our busyness. God loves you so much that he gave you a command to stop and rest. God has commanded you to have fun. Come on. You don't hear that every day in church. God has commanded you to stop and enjoy and have fun. By the way, right after church today, we're going to Finkbeiner Park. If you want to grab lunch, come join us. We're going to hang out. We're just, we have no plans, none. We're going to hang out. Kids are going to play. Maybe a football game will break out. Who knows? We're going to eat. We're going to fellowship. Join us, college kids. Young people, you're not kids. College young people. I have a college kid, so you're all kids. College young people, college kids, if you come, Megan and I are going to just grab a bunch of pizzas. We'd love to feed you and, uh, and just spend some time with you. Sabbath is not a duty, it's not oppressive, it's a delight, and it's a gift to be received. Can we stand together? As the worship team comes, we're going to close in worship. Um, 
our ushers will come and receive the tithes and offering. If you filled out a connect card, please make sure to drop that in the, uh, the offering basket. Listen, church, the easiest thing to do today would to, to be this, walk away going, wow, that was a great message about the Sabbath. And then hit the speed up button on the treadmill like, like nothing happened. I can't stand here as a pastor and say, listen, I'm telling you you need to Sabbath because it's a, it's, it doesn't work that way. But the daily office and the gift of Sabbath are just that. They're gifts from God to you. And to the degree that you will stop and enjoy, I know this, God will meet you and he will bless you. He will bless you. Father, this morning I'm thankful. We're thankful for the gift of Sabbath and the gift of the daily office. We're thankful for the opportunity to sit in your presence. God, just the fact that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful one would say, come and sit at my feet and be in my presence. Lord, we're blown away. Lord, I pray that one by one you would remove the hooks of the culture and the attempt of the enemy to conform us to look like the world. Jesus, you want us to look like you. Father, you said in your word that your goal is to conform us to the image of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would unlock and realize and embrace the gift of the daily office in Sabbath to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.